Now, Birdsong, fun and fascinating talk about the top stories in today's headlines. Birdsong may just be the most qualified talk show host in the business, thanks to his many careers in law, government, and education. Here's your host, Leonard Birdsong. Hello, folks. This is Birdsong back with you on the radio. So glad to be here. Happy New Year to everyone. This is my first show of the year. I'm here with some information, things you probably don't know, and some uh, birthdays that you might want to know about, and some other opinions that I have on my mind. We're going to have a guest today who's going to talk to us about some violence in the workplace. You might be surprised about this. There will be some dumb criminal law stories, of course, and a short Paul Harvey story. So stick with us. Let me start with the birthdays of this week. Uh, Frederick D. Gregory is an African-American. He's a former astronaut and former deputy NASA administrator who first made history in 1978 as one of NASA's first astronauts, among other achievements. His birthday was January 8th, 2019. Frederick Drew Gregory grew up in Washington, D.C., was born in 1941, went to Anacostia High School. Then he obtained his bachelor's degree at the United States Air Force Academy. He then attended George Washington University and got a master's degree in information systems. His historic flights include the first or first being the first African-American to pilot a shuttle with his 1985 Challenger flight. And in 1989, he was the first African-American space shuttle flight commander aboard Discovery. That's something. Also, many of you, some who might love opera or like opera or have heard of opera, Grace Bumbry, a great opera singer, she was born on this day, the 8th of January. She's considered a master of her craft as one of the leading mezzo-sopranos in the world. She was born in St. Louis, Missouri. She's uh, born back in 1937. Her parents exposed her to the likes of Marian Anderson, who would be an early inspiration. At 16, Miss Bummery won a contest to enter a local music conservatory, but was denied due to her race. The contest promoters, looking to avert controversy, made arrangements for Bumbry to attend Boston University. But it was after transferring to Northwestern University that she blossomed. While in Illinois, she studied with opera star and soloist Lottie Lehman. In 1961, at age 24, Bumbry became an international sensation after appearing as the first African-American opera singer to perform in Bayreuth, Germany, with the grandson of composer Richard Wagner. The following year, Miss Bumbry was invited to sing at the White House, becoming the first black opera singer to perform there. This led to more performances throughout the 60s and 70s. She's still with us. She's now teaching mainly. And uh, she has won Kennedy Center honors in 2009. So Frederick D. Gregory and Grace Bumbry, Two African-Americans who have birthdays, they've done great things. Well, there are other things on my mind. We have a government shutdown. I no longer live in Washington, D.C. I lived there most of my adult life, for sure. We have a president, President Trump, who has having or is having 
a partial shutdown of the government. Some of you may have seen his speech on Tuesday night. That was the 8th of January. I didn't think much of it. I really didn't think much of it. President Trump might as well have worn a clown nose, oversized shoes, and a giant plaid suit. He was making up facts. He's invented what I call a phony crisis. His delivery was amateurish and wooden. And I thought it was strictly a clown show and nothing more. How can we cope with a president who wants a partial government shut shut down and he doesn't talk about any of the people who are out of work because of what he's doing? He lacked saying anything about the 800,000 federal workers who are not going to be paid in a few days or the people who have been furloughed, the contractors who work for the government. President, our president expressed no concern for these impacts. People are going to lose their food stamps and their housing vouchers if this continues. But he doesn't care. What he wants is a border wall. He wants the United States government, that is Congress, to pony up $5.7 billion for this wall, which he says will keep people out. Now, we know it won't keep people out. But that's what he keeps preaching. It is a vanity project, a fancy, a fantasy project, really. We do not need a wall on the southern border. There's talk about 3,000, 4,000 people who are terrorists coming across the southern border. That's not true. The verified people who have on terrorist watch list were six people tried to cross the southern border. At the same time, 41 people who did have or were in terrorist databases tried to cross our northern border border from Canada into the United States. So six coming from the south border and 41 from the northern border. Why don't we build a wall with Canada? Well, you know why. It's because white people mainly live in Canada and in Mexico and Central America, they're mainly brown people. However, this is the kind of thing that President Trump does. Past presidents have used the Oval Office in prime time to announce military actions or to lay out major initiatives or to calm the nation's nerves in time of stress. President Trump chose the venue of the Oval Office for something very, very much different. He wanted to try to make good on a campaign promise. What was that promise? That he was going to build a wall on the southern border and Mexico was going to pay for it. The Mexican says they ain't paying for our wall. They don't want anything to do with it. As I listened, I saw that his speech was a compendium of arguments of some dubious nature, arguments he'd made before. He said, tried to tell us that the border is being overrun by dangerous criminals who've committed violent crimes in the country. Migrant women and children are being victimized. The opioid crisis has brought in a flood of, has come on a flood of drugs coming into, across the border down south. Well, much of that is not true. We're not being overrun by criminals. 
Right now, the people who are coming to the border are generally women with children who seek asylum because they are fleeing persecution in their countries in Central America. They want asylum. They want to come in, get asylum, and perhaps cut our lawns. They don't want to cut our throats, but the president puts his own spin to it. Personally, I think the government should be open. This is all a face-saving thing for the president. We should all know about this. I've been down to the southern border. I've been there several times. Yeah, there are a lot of people coming over, but there are not a lot of criminals, and we have good border patrol agents. We have like 22,000 border agents, border patrol agents, and we have the lowest amount of people coming across from Mexico than we've had in the last 45 years. There is no need for a wall. However, we'll see what happens. There's a new Congress led by the Democrats. Nancy Pelosi is the House Speaker. Chuck Schumer is still the minority leader in the Senate. Uh, we will see. I think there should be a partial opening of the government so employees can get paid. I know when I worked in the government, there was once a shutdown, and uh, we didn't get paid, but they gave us the money retroactively. But people, some people have big families, and they have big debts, and they live from paycheck to paycheck. I was lucky enough to live perhaps two to three paychecks to paychecks. <laughs> but we hope this will come to an end. We hope we can get the government open. All right. What else has been happening that you might find interesting that you may not have heard about? Have you heard about the man arrested for talking on the phone to his mother? <laughs> True case. A hotel in Portland, Oregon, said it terminated two employees who were caught, who were captured rather on video, evicting a black guest. Videos of the December 22nd incident at the Doubletree Hilton Hotel in Portland were posted on Instagram by Jermaine Massey, the guest who was evicted after he made a phone call to his mother while he was in the hotel's lobby and has since garnered national attention. You see a security guard is seen in the video telling Mr. Massey that he's loitering and that the police are coming to escort him off the property. Quote, Portland police will be here in minutes, the guard says. Mr. Massey says, why are they coming? Before, and then he tells the guard that he's a guest at the hotel. The guard says, you're not a guest anymore. Mr. Massey alleges he was racially profiled and discriminated against by the security guard and a manager at the hotel who was also captured on the video. He was seen showing the manager and security guard a ticket containing his room number that he received after checking in. Mr. Massey goes on to say that uh, they said it was a safety threat to the other guests, and I was trespassing, and I was a disturbance because I took a personal call from my mother in a more, a more remote area of the lobby of the hotel. Mr. Massey went on to say that he was dealing with a family emergency at the time. He went on to further say 
He'll be seeking justice. He has lawyers. The lawyers condemned the situation, adding that Massey was calling his mother while black. <laughs> uh, his attorney said the manager called Portland police who told Massey that the hotel demanded he be arrested for a trespassing if he did not leave the premises. This story, of course, caught the public imagination of public's imagination because it presents all the ugliest elements of racial profiling in modern America. Again, I think our president has something to do with this arrogance of power and the disrespect for the dignity of black Americans. In a series of tweets, the Doubletree Portland Hotel apologized to Massey and called the incident unfortunate. Yes, it was unfortunate. They also say that the two employees who were involved no longer have their jobs with the hotel. Speaking with CNN, CNN's Don Lemon, a few days after all of this, Mr. Massey said that the experience was hurtful and humiliating. Just so you might know, the Doubletree chain of hotels is part of Hilton Worldwide Holdings which is based in McLean, Virginia. Like many of the Doubletree hotels, the Portland property is independently owned and operated by a franchise holder. If you go to a Doubletree, don't call your mom while you're in the lobby before you check into your room. That can be dangerous. African Americans arrested for talking to mom on the cell phone in the lobby of a hotel. How silly. And how unfortunate. Now, you know, there have been lots of other things that I think that this time we're going through, what I call the Trump era, has spawned a lot of things that we would not have seen, like this arrest of this fellow Massey in Portland, who checked into the hotel, then they say he's trespassing because he took a call from his mom. There's a story in January, in December, about the high schooler in New Jersey. He was on the wrestling team on about the December, no, on December 19th, I'm sorry. I was looking for the exact date. This fellow, his name is Andrew Johnson of Buena Regional High School was forced to cut his hair by a referee. He wore dreadlocks, and the referee said, "If you ha- if you fight, if you wrestle with those dreadlocks, you're going to forfeit your competition." So they had someone cut his dreadlocks while he's on the mat. Now, he had covered up his dreadlocks. He had on sort of a shower cap type of thing. But uh, the referee, whose name is Alan Malone, Maloney, I'm sorry, Alan Maloney, he's white. The young wrestler, Andrew Johnson, is an African-American. He did lose his match. But as justice will, justice will certainly show itself, Mr. Andrew Johnson is still on the wrestling team. 
he is allowed to let his dreadlocks grow back. He can wrestle with dreadlocks, and Mr. Alan Maloney has been suspended from his job as a wrestling referee in the high schools in New Jersey. Why are these people doing this? They're not God. I just don't see it at all. At any rate, this is Birdsong. These are some things on my mind and some things that I thought you might want to know about. If you ever want to text me, here's the number. 904-878-8170. I'll text you back, and I'll probably talk about you or talk to you on the radio. There are more of these stories and I'm here for you to tell them. So we're going to come and have a guest. But first of all, let me ask this. Here's a little pop quiz. Can you guess which industry accounts for 75% of all workplace violence? If you guess law enforcement or package delivery, you'd be wrong. The guest we're bringing on next will tell you that it's the healthcare industry that has 75% of all workplace violence. We're going to come back and talk to Sharon Barrich. Stick with us. Hello, folks. Birdsong back with you. I told you that uh, we're having a guest. Her name is Sharon Barish, and she is a physician's assistant. She's been one for 30 years. She trained at the Baylor College of Medicine, and she also has a master's in public health from the University of Texas School of Public Health. Sharon, are you with us? I'm with you, Leonard. All right. So good to hear from you. You uh, have some compelling stories. I gave the listeners this little pop quiz asking them which uh, industry accounts for 75% of all workplace violence. And, of course, we now know it's the health care system. You have a compelling story because there was a workplace violence, as I understand it, against you where an administrator tried to strangle you to death. Can you tell us about Correct. that? Um. It happened when I was working at an academic hospital, and I had submitted my NIH, which is National Institutes of Health, clinical grant, and realized I had made a mistake after I submitted it. I made a statistical error, which I either needed to correct or I needed to withdraw my grant. I found out the day after this episode that I could go in and make my correction to the grant and leave it as submitted with a corrective, with one correction done to it on the statistics, um, which is what I did. Uh huh. But on the day that it occurred, I walked into my administrator's office and I advised her. I said, I've made a statistical error. I need to withdraw my grant. I was trying to be ethical and correct and truthful and that kind of stuff. And the second that I said that, she got up out of her desk. She probably, it took her probably less than three seconds to fly from her desk 
She's right in front of me. I mean, she like took two steps and she was flying the rest of the way because um, she came at me so fast. She then immediately had her finger up in, on my nose and was trying to press down on my nose, screaming in my face and had her hand around my neck trying to asphyxiate me as she was telling me that I had just wasted $500 of the hospital's money and how dare I do that. And I did not defend myself. I knew that had I defended myself, I would have had no recourse the next day. She would have blamed me for everything. She would have said I had done this to her or done that to her or that kind of stuff. And so I knew I could not defend myself. I kept my hands down by my side. It took her about 30 seconds of screaming in my face with her hand over my neck, pushing in, leaving handprint, leaving her handprint on my neck after the whole thing was over with that she finally realized that she was doing something wrong and kind of fell back almost by almost by herself in, you know, an appalling gasp of what she had done, ran back to her desk and immediately called, picked up her phone and started calling security and telling me that she was going to have security, you know, arrest me and remove me because I was the one that had done wrong. Oh, God. And did you did you report her that she was the one who did this? Well, um, the problem is that this particular academic hospital did not have a workplace violence um, policy until a month later, um, so I could not report her to higher-up authorities. I did try getting hold of my supervising physician who did not answer his page because he was not home, um, and so I went back. I had gone back into my office at that point in time trying to call him, and he didn't answer his page. Um, so, and there was no one else in the office because the office was getting ready to close, um, as far as the department. So nobody was in around the department area. So I sat there at my desk just in tears. I trying guess to figure so. Out what, what just happened to me? I mean, I was just like flabbergasted and I wasn't thinking correctly because of what she had just tried to do to me. Had I been thinking correctly, I would have gone down the stairs across the street and walked into the emergency room and said, take a picture of my neck now. But I didn't do that. Yeah. Um, and because of that, the next morning, she immediately was waiting on the first floor for my physician to come into the office. And on the way up to our floor, because we were on the fourth floor, um, she was telling him that she had done this. She was very sorry to have done that. And she shouldn't have done it, and she didn't want to get in trouble and this kind of stuff. And she never did come in and apologize to me, even though I I sent her a white flag email saying, you know, I'm waiting for an apology, and she never would apologize to me. She only apologized to my boss. Um, he did come in and talk to her, to me, I should say, sorry, um, and tell me that she had apologized to him on the elevator um, and he said, give her a couple days. She'll probably apologize. Well, she never did. And so nothing ever happened to her. No criminal, um, you know, no charges were filed against her. And finally, 18 months later, she was fired because she did the same thing. She got into a rage with the chief financial officer of the hospital who immediately fired her. <laughs> well, as I understand it, Sharon, you were able to forgive her, though, for this, even though it was a horrible situation. Is that right? Correct. It did take me a little while, and I also set up workplace boundaries around her so she would never get around me or get near to me again. I also told 
everyone that I worked around, I said, beware, she's a Jekyll and Hyde, here's what's happened to me, don't let her do it to you. And initially, they all just went, oh, but she's so nice to us, she's helped us out, she's done this, she's done that. And I was like, she's a Jekyll and Hyde, I'm giving you a warning. And sure enough, within like six months, they all came to me and they said, you were so right, she did this and she did that. And I said, I warned you. Well, let's get a little general here, Sharon. Why okay. do you believe that the medical field has so much of this bullying that you talk about? I mean, what is what what generates all of this kind of thing in the healthcare world? I never never heard of this before. Well, what generates it is the fact that when you it starts off with the second year nursing students because they're doing their clinical rotations, and then they finish up their second year in nursing school because they do two years of just general undergrad, and then they do two years of nursing school, and then they come out with their BSN. So Uh the second year of their nursing school, that's when they get opened up to the fact that they're working on the floor, and the senior nurses are beating down on them, saying, well, you don't know how to do this, you don't know how to do that. So that's when the nursing students start having their eyes opened up to what's going on. The medical students have their eyes opened up to what's going on when they're a third-year med student, and they start clinical rotations. And it starts out then, and it goes all the way from that level all the way up to the senior physicians, um, those getting ready to retire, and the senior nursing administrators. So it it covers, you know, from the bottom of the tier to the top of the tier. And the mm-hmm. reason that it occurs is the fact that... <clears throat> Physicians or senior administrative nurses do not have self-esteem. They don't have a lot of um, ability to figure out sometimes, or they have problems with their pride or their ego, I mean, because they're all human beings, but they are approached with something that they may not know what to do, and so they blame it on somebody who's younger. It's kind of like, well, you're mad about what happened at work, so you come home and you kick the dog, and the dog kicks the cat, and the cat, you know, goes yeah. and tries to, to do the mouse. So that's what's happening in medicine, is it's higher sort of, up they're kicking the younger ones. It's sort of like the playground, huh? The yeah, big kids against the smaller sort of kids. Is. It sort of is. However, you say now, or at least I've read something that you have written about the fact that things are better now than they used to be. What kind of changes have there been, and when did it start? Um, I've seen changes starting around 2000, and I say that because the Institute of Medicine, the big book that came out um, from the Institute of Medicine, which said that there had to be corrections done within the hospitals um, regarding medical errors, and they had to make some changes in regards to how they were approaching patient care, patient safety, it was a huge report, um, and the name of the book is To Air is Human. Um, and so since that came out, within the next five years, every hospital that had to go through their accreditation process, which is typically every five years, um, they had to comply with everything that was said and written about in this book put out by the Institute of Medicine in 1999. Uh-huh. So that definitely helped in regards to improving the scenarios. But the other thing that definitely is also beginning to help is that physician suicide, because once you get bullied so much and, you know, you're 
you're downgraded and you're denigrated and you're, you know, told that you have to do this and told that you have to do this and it may not be ethical and it may not be moral, those physicians sometimes will just get pushed over the edge and we're having one physician suicide a day because of it. That's a shame. You've written about the fact that some doctors have actually slapped interns around? Yes, I've seen it. And they haven't been disciplined, the doctors? Correct, they've not. Well, let me just ask this, Sharon. It, people who want to go into the health industry... Are there any warnings about this? I mean, I guess it play, pays fairly well, and maybe it's good steady work, but sounds like an awful place to work in some other places. Well, but you don't realize that this is going on until you get into the field. I realized when I was, because I had to have two years of medical training, healthcare experience before I went into my PA program, so I decided I would be a certified nursing assistant, and I would work as a CNA. I thought that will give me my two years. And that time, plus my working as a candy striper in a hospital when I was in high school, revealed to me, I don't want to go into nursing. Nursing is not where I want to go because I saw them beating up on the student nurses and the younger nurses and that kind of stuff. And I was like, that's not for me. I don't want to do that. Hmm. I didn't realize it wasn't just in nursing, that it was also in medicine with all of the physicians and the residents and everything else. I mean, it goes across the board. So until you're actually in the field, you don't realize it's going on and you don't realize how prevalent it is. And the fact that you've got to be able, people are beginning to really take a look at it, a hard look at it, and beginning to force the issues and beginning to make people have changes. Um, one of the things that patients can do for their own physicians is validate the physician. Tell that physician, hey, I really appreciate what you did for me. I really appreciate your knowledge. I really, you know, I, I'm going to give you, you know, here's your book. Here's your gift. Here's your some cookies. Here's your whatever. But physicians are desperate for validation because they're not receiving it. So that's one of the ways that patients can create a communication tool with their physicians is by just saying thank you, just being grateful to them. That's one of the things that they can do. But I know Pamela Wimble is a physician up in Oregon, and she's addressing the physician suicide aspect. Carol Good is a physician up in um, Oregon also. She's addressing the medical errors that are made by people because her sister died from a bone marrow transplant because of an error being made with her sister while she was in the ICU. Um, her sister had a heart attack, and they didn't recognize it. Um, and I'm addressing all the problems with the medical bullying, and I have a TED Talk coming up about that. Um, so there are people that are beginning to come out of the woodwork and beginning to address all of this, but it needs to be addressed by, you know, scores of people before everything will be changed so that it's finally a safe environment to work in and a good environment to work in. Because you have to be thinking about patient safety. You have to be thinking about patient care and how does that affect patient safety and patient care? And as long as there is this violence going on, these attacks going on, this bullying going on, patient safety and patient care is put at risk. And that is not fair. 
All right, listen, I'm glad that I wasn't smart enough to get into medical school. I was smart enough to get into law school, but I don't think I would like to have been in the medical field. As a matter of fact, you've written that residents used to have to work 120 hours a week without sleep. Correct. That's just horrible, but now they're going only, it's 80 hours, and do they stick to that 80 hours a week? They are required to stick to 80 hours per week. It, it used to be 120 hours or more per week that they would have to work, and now they are required by the um, graduate medical education people, it's a national group, um, that they can only allow the residents to work 80 hours per week, and that's it. And if they work more than that, then the hospitals get dinged. Well, listen, you're going to be a give a TED talk. Will you be considered a whistleblower? Is that dangerous for you to talk about what's happening in the, the medical field here? The whistleblowing that is being done by people in the medical field, they typically lose their job, and I have done that, and I've lost my job. But you're back working, I hope. Well, I'm doing my book launch, and it looks like I'm going to start working for a nursing care facility here in town here pretty quickly. But you do. I mean, you become a whistleblower in hospitals or, you know, the clinic that you're working for forces you out of your job, and they fire you, and they do that because they don't want to deal with it. They just want they want the troublemaker gone. Yeah. Well, listen, my last question to you, Sharon, and I'm really glad that you came on with us. What advice do you have to younger people who want to go into the health care business, either as doctors, nurses, or physician assistants, what would you tell them? I would tell them to have enough self-esteem when they go in um, that they know what they know and they know what they don't know. And if they don't know something, they need to have the self-esteem to be able to ask someone who does know, how do I do this? Why do I do this? And find there are some very wonderful physicians out there who can really be a mentor, who can really teach you, and I would say attach yourself to their coattails and don't let go. Uh, All right. And, and so that's what I would I would tell them. Well, that sounds like very, very good advice. I am just surprised that 75% of all workplace violence comes in the uh, hospital department. But anyway, Sharon, thank you so much for coming on. This is Birdsong. Um, maybe we'll talk to you again. I hope things get better. When is your TED Talk? In April. Okay, good luck with it, okay? Well, thanks, Leonard. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. This is Birdsong. I'm back with you. We just finished speaking with Sharon Barich about workplace violence in hospitals in the medical field. I never knew there was so much of it, but uh, I hope it gets better. We have more to come. There's some dumb criminal law stories coming up and some riddles and a story from Paul Harvey, a very short one. Stick with us. There's more to come. Hello, folks. I am back with you. So glad that you're listening. This is Birdsong. I'm here telling you some news that you might know about and some you don't know about. We just finished with an interesting guest. Sharon Bearich was telling us about some of the workplace violence in the medical field.
Stuff I never knew about. Interesting. Right now, though, I want to change things and tell you some dumb criminal law stories that I've worked on. You know I collect these stories. I have some books. You can also read my blog, birdsongslaw.com, all one word. Here's our first story for this week. It comes from Australia. The headline says, Sleepy Skies, Maybe. We learned that a commercial airline pilot passed out cold in the cockpit and overflew his island destination by 30 miles. The Vortex air pilot was soaring with a load of cargo to Davenport, Tasmania, and he was on autopilot, autopilot when he accidentally dozed off. Air traffic controllers, realizing something was wrong when he didn't respond to radio calls, finally got him up. We now learn he's been grounded. <laughs> Here's one from South Korea. Such a vacation, says the headline. Over the last four years, some South Koreans have paid $90 for a 24-hour stay in solitary confinement in a fake prison. So many of the country's workers and students are under such pressure from their employees and professors to perform their Fake prison stays provide them with a sense of freedom. This is according to a group that runs the phony prison. Since its opening in 2012, the prison has welcomed about 2,000 inmates. My, my, my. <laughs> Such a vacation. A story out of Connecticut. The headline for this one, Forget the Twinkie Defense, He Blames Hash Browns. It's been reported that a man says he was wrongly given a ticket for distracted driving because an officer mistook his McDonald's hash brown patty for a cell phone. Jason Stiber of Westport, Connecticut, says he was nibbling away when the officer pulled him over and wrote him a $300 ticket. He claims phone records will prove he wasn't on his cell phone at the time. He blames it all on the hash browns. <laughs> Florida. Headline. Toll Dodger. A driver was recently arrested for dodging road tolls with a high-tech remote control cover that he lowered over his license plate. His name, Robert Davis, a 70-year-old man of Miami. He allegedly rigged the device to his minivan so electronic toll collectors couldn't send him a bill. But a driver behind him noticed the scam, took a video, and called the police. Busted, Mr. Davis, busted. <laughs> what else have we got here? Here's a story out of England. Meow, says the headline. We learned that a British, no, we learned that a British finance manager stole nearly half a million dollars from his bosses and used some of the money to buy what? Purebred kittens. Matthew Fairmond, 41, of Bucksaw Village, England, embezzled the money from a construction firm to pay for posh vacations along with a new home and pedigree kittens. Unfortunately, Mr. Fairmond is now spending four years in prison. Meow. <laughs> Another story from England. This headline says, Sweet Justice. Sweet Justice. We learn that a serial streaker was arrested for allegedly exposing himself to more than a dozen women 
joggers in England. Thanks to his take, thanks to his taste in gummy bears, he was arrested. The 18-year-old man, often seen eating gummy bears while exposing himself near Durham City, dropped a receipt for the candy on a bridge that enabled police to track him down, authorities say. Sweet justice, it's called. <laughs> Let's come back to the United States. This story is from Virginia. We hope he had good insurance, says the headline. A motorist slammed his $300,000 sports car into a tree less than a day after driving it off the sales lot. The unidentified man was speeding in Great Falls, Virginia, when he lost control of his McLaren 720S. This car goes from 0 to 60 miles per hour in 2.7 seconds. He was rushed to a hospital with non-life-threatening industry, life-threatening injuries, but there was no saving of the car. We hope he had good insurance, huh? <laughs> Here's something from Washington State. The headline says, a jail cell may not feel too cramped now. A jail cell may not feel too cramped now. A Spokane, Washington man, wanted for violating an order of protection, stuffed himself into a washing machine before he was eventually sniffed out by a police dog. The adult version of hide-and-seek never turns out well for anyone the Spokane Police Department said in a Facebook post, a jail cell may not feel too cramped now. Get it? <laughs> Wisconsin, the headline. Yep, he was a bozo. A county commissioner wore a clown suit to court to argue that his $10 ticket for driving without a seatbelt was a joke. Mark McCoon who serves Washington County, Wisconsin, down Don, clown shoes, makeup, and a wig, which irked Judge Stephen Kane, who said the bozo move was a, quote, insult to the court, end court, end quote, rather, an insult to the court, end quote. Mr. McCune had to pay the fine. Another story out of Wisconsin, shoe cam blow-up problem. Shoe cam blow-up problem. In June of 2018, a man fashioned a so-called shoe cam to take videos of women's skirts. He admitted this to police. However, his idea blew up in his face, or actually on his foot. We learned that as a 32-year-old perv, or as the 32-year-old pervert was strapping on the cam at home, the battery exploded, causing minor burns, said police in Madison, Wisconsin. Racked with guilt, the fellow tried to surrender to police, who had to send him on his way because his attempted criminal perversity was a failure and no one had been victimized except himself. Shoe cam blow-up problem. Boy, oh boy, what will they think about next? Our final story is also from Wisconsin. The headline reads... The idiot tried to run away from his problem. It's been reported that a 19-year-old man who flipped his car in early June 2018 pretended to be a passing jogger in a bid to fool the police investigating the matter. The teen fled the scene of the single vehicle crash, removed some clothing, and then returned. 
He told Madison, Wisconsin police he was uninvolved and just a jogger, but they arrested him anyway. <laughs> Those are your dumb criminal law stories for this week. How about a few riddles here? They're easy. First one. What time do ducks wake up? What times do ducks wake up? Second riddle. Where does seaweed look for a job? Where does seaweed look for a job? Finally, two men talking. First one says, I just learned about the Dead Sea. What do you think the second man said? I just learned about the Dead Sea, says the first man. What do you think the second man said? Well, I'll come back at the end of the show. If you haven't figured out these riddles, I'll tell you the answers. This is Birdsong. I'm having fun here with you. Hope you're learning some things. I think they're interesting. Stick with me. There's some more. If you want to text me, text number 904-878-8170. Text me. I'll text you back or talk to you on the radio. Folks, this is Birdsong back with you. We're coming to the end of the show. I got a short Paul Harvey story here for you. These four stories were sent to Paul Harvey, a great newsman who I admire. He's no longer with us, but he wrote this book, his last book of stories people sent him. Here's a story from Hersey, Pennsylvania that he received. It's about a woman in the Mercedes Benz. And she had been waiting patiently for a parking place to open up. The shopping mall was crowded. The woman in the Mercedes Benz zigzagged between rows. Then up ahead she saw a man with a load of packages hit for his car. She drove up and parked behind him and waited while he opened his trunk and loaded it with packages. Finally, he got in his car and backed out of the, st the stall. But before the woman in the Mercedes could drive into the parking space... A young man in a shiny new Corvette zipped past and around her, and he pulled into the empty space and got out and started walking away. Hey, shouted the woman in Mercedes, I've been waiting for that parking place. The college-age fellow responded, quote, Sorry, lady, that's how it is when you're young and quick. At that instant, she put her Mercedes in gear, floorboarded, and crashed it into and crushed the right rear fender and corner panel of the flashy new Corvette. Now the young man is jumping up and down shouting, You can't do that! The lady in the Mercedes-Benz says, Well, quote, that's how it is when you're old and rich. <laughs> All right, how about these riddles? Maybe you got them, maybe you didn't. They're easy. What time do ducks wake up? What time do ducks wake up? The answer, at the quack of dawn. <laughs> Where does seaweed look for a job? Where does seaweed look for a job? They look in the kelp wanted section. They look in the kelp wanted section. Get it? <laughs> All right, two men. First one says, I just learned about the Dead Sea. What did the second man say? I didn't even know it was sick. 
<laughs> Those are your riddles for today. <laughs> well, we're coming to the end here. I've enjoyed the show. I hope you've enjoyed being with me. Here's some thought for this week. Be willing to do what others want. Be willing to do what others won't. It's said that an aid group in South Africa once wrote to the missionary and explorer David Livingston, quote, Have you found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to know how to send other men to join you, end quote. Dr. Livingston replied, quote, If you have good men who will come only if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come even if there's no road at all, end quotes. Now, that's what top leaders want from people working from them. They want individuals who are willing to do what others won't do. Cultivate a whatever-it-takes attitude to get the job done. This is Birdsong. It's great being with you. Be here with you next week. <laughs>